You can't handle the truth. Just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber, you go and do something like this. And totally redeem yourself! <laughs> You're gonna need a bigger boat. Get away from her, you bitch! The first rule of Fight Club is, you do not talk about Fight Club. To infinity and beyond! Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. Hello and welcome to episode 68 of the Samuel and Manuel movie podcast. I am one of your hosts, Sam Reimer. And I'm Manny Manuel. Manny, I gotta tell you, I think I'm on the wrong side of this Sharon Tate thing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe I shouldn't say it like that. Uh, so, so last You're week on the wrong side, so you one... feel that she should have been murdered. Yes, no, that's exactly what I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> no, like last week when we talked about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I mentioned that I didn't think Sharon Tate affected the outcome of that movie, and I was sort of bored when she was on screen. I've talked to a few of my friends about it. I brought it up with Emma, and I brought it up with Jordan. I, I think I'm really in the minority on this thing. I, I would agree that you're in the minority, but like I like I said last week, I'm like, it's it it's a it's fine to have that opinion. Yeah. The the artist was trying to convey something, and for you, you didn't pick up the message he was trying to get. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I am I am excited. As of recording, uh, we have not released that episode. I'm very excited to re-listen to our uh, to our argument. <laughs> Actually, I think <laughs> the episode. Oh no, it doesn't. It will come out in about four days from now. Three days from now. All right. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. I, I just wanted to say that. Uh, yeah, I brought it up with uh, Emma and Jordan. I brought it up with one of my other friends uh, who I don't think listens to the podcast, and he said he at least saw where I was coming from. So I hope I don't at least sound like a complete idiot, but I am definitely in the minority. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with being like. Hold on, I'm trying to think of an example for myself as well. There's uh, there's tons of other. I'll like I'll be honest. There's a lot of the imagery and maybe some of the messages and something like the original Blade Runner that I don't pick up on. There's yeah. lots of there's lots of things like that. It, I'll I'll be honest, themes and stuff in novels mm-hmm. go right over my head. You did you ever watch Seinfeld? Uh, no, and and that's <laughs> a a big uh, point of uh, contention between T Bone and I, who there's a- yesterday alone mentioned it again. Oh. Shout out the T-Bone. Fuck that guy. Uh, there's, a, there's a famous episode of Seinfeld, this is the reason I bring it up, where it's the year that the English patient won Best Picture, and uh, the plot of the episode is that everybody in the show loves the English patient except Elaine. Elaine is the only person in her friend group who hates the English patient, and she's trying to explain herself, and she just feels like a total outcast, and she goes to see it a few <laughs> times to like try to get an understanding for why it's so good, and she cannot for the life of her understand what's so good about it. I kind of feel like Elaine right now, but only about this one very specific plot point. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Side note, have you seen the English patient? Uh, no, but we will be watching it pretty soon, hey? We will. Not, we're, we're still a little bit of ways, but it, it's coming. Because that's what, Best Picture 95? Oh, is it? Oh, that's a good call. Let me hold on. Something like that? Why can I not type today? <laughs> yeah, because we have, we have what, 98 coming up next, or 99, something like that? Uh, let's see here. English right. Patient 96. So, yeah, that's, uh... Let's see here, ninety six is uh, uh, uh. oh yeah, it's pretty close because we're next up is the seventy second, yep, and uh, English patient is the sixty ninth. 
Right, 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 right. <laughs> that's that. I'm not gonna lie. Not gonna lie. That's uh, that's one of the years I'm I'm not that excited about. Yeah, we'll we'll breeze through that one. <laughs> yeah. There's actually a, uh, there's it's one of the few uh, few years I didn't see all five. There's a movie on there I never saw. Whoa, Manny. Yeah. I guess we'll probably encounter a few of those coming up. Yeah. Anyway, I guess uh, yeah. I just wanted to briefly touch on that, but we got uh, we got lots to talk about today. Um, I believe. Uh, well, why don't you tell the people uh, where they can find us on social media, Manny? Well, for sure. If they uh, if they've listened to the last week's episode and want to rip into you and let us know what they think about Sharon Tate, please do. Please they do. They can uh, they can contact us uh, via Twitter or Instagram at Sam underscore Manny underscore Movie, or they can email us at Sam Manny Movie Podcast at Gmail dot com. You can follow us on Facebook at the Samuel Emanuel Movie Podcast. Beauty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, right, Sam, we- other than uh, talking to your friends about Sharon Tate and her involvement in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, have you been watching anything else? Uh, yes, I have actually. So uh, I've <laughs> this is the first week in a long time that I, or it feels like a long time that I haven't watched any Tarantino movies. I'm a little Tarantinoed out if I'm being completely honest. <laughs> watched uh, watched eight of his movies this week, I guess, or last couple of weeks. Uh, so I watched a couple. I watched uh, a great movie called. Uh, uh, Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. I didn't want to say too much about that other than that it's a brilliant parody of uh, music biopics. It's also really stupid and people should watch it. Uh, the only other one that I wanted to uh, kind of touch on was uh, a Pixar movie that had been missing from my filmography. It was uh, it was a Pixar movie I heard was pretty good. Had never seen it before. Longtime listeners of the show will know that uh, I'm a big Pixar fan, as are you, Manny Manuel. Um, and that movie is Coco. Yeah. And what Uh, were your thoughts on Coco? uh, Coco, I thought, was really fucking good. I I actually really liked this movie. It surprised me in ways that I didn't really... uh, Well, it surprised me in ways I didn't expect is redundant. But (laughs) (laughs) um, uh, what I liked about it especially was uh, I didn't expect to see such a... um, such an in-depth depiction of another culture from a Pixar movie. Uh, if there, we tend to delve into worlds that are oh, as police sirens go by in the distance. I don't know if you can hear that. <laughs> um, we, we tend to. I really need to close that window. It's really That's loud. Right by my host, do you hear that? I hundred percent. We hear that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, we tend to, in Pixar movies, go into universes that are imaginary, uh, but a little bit more um, North America-centric, like, uh, like I don't know, Toy Story comes to mind, and just very very uh, North American and American-esque uh, universes. But this is the first time I feel like we've had a really good look at another culture, and I felt like I gained such a deeper understanding of uh, the Day of the Dead and the effect of music on this culture. Um, it mostly takes place through the eyes of a, a pretty young musician by the name of Miguel. Um, I, I just felt like the look at the Mexican culture was a lot of fun and really interesting, not to mention um, the importance of ancestry. When, when I discovered that this movie was going to focus a lot on the importance of ancestry and uh, why this festival makes us feel connected and how, how music can... Uh, can can keep those who are dead still with us, and how the, uh, memories can be passed along. Like there, there's so many deep ideas in this movie. Um, and when I when I found out sort of what it was going to be about, I was really skeptical. But 
to be completely honest with you, I was riveted from front to back. Um, I know that you know, and uh, listeners, some listeners will know that I am a big music nerd myself. So um, the fact that I had not seen a Pixar movie about uh, music uh, as storytelling um, was uh, was kind of baffling to me when when I got to the end of it. I was like, how the fuck had I not seen this movie before? Um, but I I loved it. Um, <clears throat> did you have anything you wanted to say about Coco? I well, I'm astounded. Uh, I, I have a question. Okay. And it's a standard Pixar question. Did you cry? I didn't actually. I didn't cry. Um, I, I potentially should have. I think the reason why I didn't cry, to be honest with you, and this is one of my only tiny nitpicks with the movie, the, the reason why I didn't cry is because it was a bit predictable. I, I did see the. I, we're not going to spoil anything in this movie, I don't think. Um, I saw the cry scene coming, and I knew what it was going to be. So for that reason, I uh, I didn't it, it didn't surprise me. Man, somebody must have gotten murdered out there. I'm gonna go close this window. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I saw the cry scene coming from a mile away. Uh, so unfortunately, it didn't affect me like it probably could have. It was still a very beautiful moment towards the end of the movie, um, with Miguel playing a song for his family. Um, and uh, there was one other thing I was gonna say. Oh, there was one other moment in the middle that was kind of predictable. There was like this big reveal that was like. All the six-year-olds in the audience, I'm sure, were shocked by it. But any savvy moviegoer could have seen it from a mile away. But the 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 universe that we find ourselves in, Coco, is uh, really well constructed. World building, as always, is amazing. Another thing Pixar does really well with its animation is uh, they they understand the mechanics of their characters. So mm-hmm. the undead are skeletons, and Pixar doesn't just have a bunch of humans be skeletons they say okay what what would be the consequences of having skeletons be real what would be the consequences of having the undead be real what sort of things can they do they can detach their limbs what they, what can they then do with those limbs like it's there's a, a logical uh action and consequence to everything to do with the characterization and i uh you know i can always respect that about pixar's animators well done well said yeah, yeah i'm i'm really glad that you liked it mm. i I think I've seen Coco probably four or five times. Um, my daughter likes it, so sometimes we'll watch it. Uh, I won't lie. I only get emotional watching it when I'm with her. When I'm watching it by myself, I find it to just be a, a very good movie. But with her, with the themes of family and stuff, it, it does hit home pretty hard. And, and then I, of course, cry with my daughter right there, and she looks at me like I'm a Idiot. All I wanted to do after was just like text my family and ask them to tell me stories about my like great grandparents. <laughs> that was that was all I wanted to do. I, I didn't expect that to affect me honestly, because really my uh, my heritage and my ancestry, even though I know a bit about it, it's not something that I that really defined me as a person. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this movie made me really curious about it, and that's sort of the effect I bet it had on a lot of people. Nice. Yeah, for me, much to my one half of my family's chagrin, I have no connection to my ancestry's past. And mm-hmm. that, for my culture, which for those of you that don't know is First Nations, that's a huge thing. And mm-hmm. I have no connection to that side of me. I don't have much of a connection to that culture, which is really unfortunate because I bet you there's probably some really amazing stuff in there. Maybe one day. Maybe one day. <clears throat> um, did I don't know if you have a definitive answer for this yet, but mm. out of curiosity with Coco, do you think it comes anywhere close to your top five? Uh, for for long-time listeners of the show, they'll no. know that we've, no. we've actually ranked our top five Pixar movies. Uh-uh. Nope. Definitely. On first watch, I, I don't think it is in my top five, but in my opinion, it's close for me. 
Uh, let's see if I can find that. Oh, uh, wow. We'll go farther back. I don't even see... Yeah, I don't even see when we did our top five picks are. Must have been in like in the f within the first ten ten episodes or so. I think I think I was still on Kamloops honestly when uh, when we did our top five picks are. So it must have been like yeah, first five or ten. Yeah, I'm looking kind of looking at the list here, and it's not. Uh, I and I have everything from eleven on. So it, it's it's in, it was in our top top in our top ten in our first ten episodes <clears throat> that we did that. No, Coco wouldn't crack my top five. Not even close. Oh wow. Okay, I didn't expect such a definitive answer. For me, it's definitely, it's not in my top five, but for me, it is, actually is pretty close. I, I, I at least considered it. That doesn't surprise me with, with, yeah. the, with music being so integral to the plot. Yeah. I, uh, I, well, my, my fifth was Finding Nemo, which it does not top because Finding Nemo is so important to my childhood. And then sixth, I think I had, uh, I didn't list this because we only did our top five, but sixth would probably be up. Up just missed out of up was the last cut of my top five. Mm -hmm. Coco, I think, is either right above or right below up. It's it's in that sort of area for fair me. Enough. I should probably kind of write down my Pixar. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Fair I'm enough. I'm going to reevaluate. Anyway, I, I am. Um, I'm glad. To, I am really glad to hear that you enjoyed it because it really is, and it's visually stunning. It really is. I mean, when you go back to Toy Story. Uh, and you see where the animation was. Of course, that was it was completely innovative at the time with the CGI. But you see what they've become. I mean, we talked about this when we discussed Toy Story Four. Mm -hmm. uh, the animation is just—it's night and day how much better it's gotten. Oh, by far, by far. <laughs> so that was uh, your uh, your lovely little thoughts on Coco. I'm, again, I'm I'm really glad that you checked it out. I think I'm only yeah. missing two Pixar films from my filmography, and yeah. I own them both and haven't watched them. I've I, I went through this actually after watching Coco. I haven't seen any of the movies containing the word cars. I haven't. Okay, I'm missing three. Yeah, I haven't seen the Good Dinosaur, and uh, there was at least one other one that I can't remember. I haven't seen Cars two. I've seen one and three, mm. and I haven't seen the Good Dinosaur, and I haven't seen Monsters University. Yeah, Monsters University was fine as far as sequels go. It was middle of the road. Again, even the worst Pixar movies are better than most other movies. Yeah, like Tarantino. Yeah, exactly. And Marvel films. <laughs> Correct. Yes. Although I haven't seen Thor The Dark World. I hear it sucks. I'm going to rewatch it. Actually, you know what? I'm going to sit down and I'm going to rewatch the entire MCU. My God. Yeah, yeah. I did that before. I, or I did most of the MCU before uh, Infinity War. Well, we're not getting another MCU movie until next year. Mm -hmm. So... Endgame comes out on Blu-ray next week. <laughs> so by the time I was I was thinking I think me personally I might just watch like one one or two a week. And then by the time I get to Endgame, I'm probably close to the next Marvel movie being released and I'll be a happy man. <laughs> man, you're you're giving yourself even more homework. Yeah, that's on top I of am because I am a complete loser and have no life. <laughs> Correct. Yes. Outside of that in baseball. Yes. All right. So I'm going to go close this window. In the meantime, why don't you tell the people uh, what the meat of today's show is? What are we talking about? Perfecto. Today, this week, we decided to uh, to dive into the world of Netflix. We wanted to find, uh, and we might do this every once in a while, is to pick a Netflix film, not a movie that's on Netflix, but a Netflix original release. 
And so we decided on Triple Frontier, which is directed by J.C. Chandor, written by Mark Boll and J.C. Chandor, starring Ben Affleck, Oscar Isaac, Charlie Hunnam, Pedro Pascal, and Garrett Hedlund. has a 61 Metascore. Uh, and it was available, uh, is now available on Netflix and will continue to be so. And usually this is where I also talk about the uh, box office. But since box office doesn't correlate with Netflix, I did find this note on it. And again, this is Netflix because Netflix doesn't release their numbers. So we have to take them for their word. But on April 16th, 2019, Netflix announced that the film had been viewed by over 52 million viewers on its service within the first month of its release. And on July 5th, Netflix announced that the film had been viewed by 63 million viewers. That's pretty impressive numbers, honestly. Yeah, yeah. So if you're, you know, if you're looking at, you know, $10 a ticket, that's $520 million worldwide gross. That's a, that's a, that's a smash hit well yeah and i i completely agree and i think it's important that netflix has movies that are smash hits especially with uh with with so much coming off their service it's been big news in recent weeks Mm -hmm. that uh, both the office and friends are both leaving the platform so it's really important now more than ever that netflix has really good quality original content yeah they really need to start to kind of picking things up for themselves and i just before we continue on the plot loyalties are tested when five former special forces operatives reunite to steal a drug lord's fortune unleashing a chain of unintended consequences sam what are your spoiler free thoughts on triple frontier spoiler free thoughts on triple frontier are that um i was really really impressed by it i um I really had a fun time. It's just a, it's just a really entertaining heist movie. It's helmed with uh, with fantastic performances, especially from uh, Ben Affleck and Oscar Isaac. Um, the entire cast is quite good. Um, what I really liked about it was the clear sense of stakes and the clear sense of tension, um, especially in the early going in this movie. There are so many damn tense scenes. And, and scenes that set up future tensions. So, like, uh, the reconnaissance scene is a really good way of setting up that... Um, I don't have the mob boss's name in front of me right now, uh, the drug lord. Um, mm, that's going to bug me. Larea. Thank you. Yeah. Um, when they first go to uh, do recon on Larea, uh, we see him executing people. We see uh, that, there, that he has children in his house. Um, you know, it does a really good job of setting up stakes... And then the payoff when they actually uh, attempt to pull off the heist uh, ends up being really good. And they do a really good job. We talked about it last week with Tarantino. Uh, but he does a, uh, the movie does a really good job of setting things up and then paying them off later. It, it's, it's quite uh, – it, it seems like a simple enough thing to do, but it's actually really effectively done. So good performances, uh, well executed and well written. Um, there were a couple moments that we'll get to that I – Again, I thought we're maybe just a little bit on the predictable side, um, but uh, overall, I was just really entertained. It's just a really fun thrill ride, to be honest with you. Awesome! I'm really happy <clears throat> to hear that you enjoyed it this much because I was, as I was rewatching it because I'd seen it before. As I was rewatching it, I was like, "Oh my god! I really hope that Sam likes this as much as I do." Because I'm with you. I found this to be an entertaining thrill ride. Uh, Affleck and Isaac are standouts in my opinion uh, in this movie with actually Hunnam, Headland, and Pascal doing a really good job. 
these are the only people that are really in this movie. There are a couple other really small parts for some, uh, some by some other actors that I don't know who they are, but this movie is these five men and what they're trying to deal with as they steal this money from this drug lord. I had a great time watching it. I had a great time watching it again, trying to pick it apart a little bit more the second time through. But this is the kind of movie that this is the kind of movie that definitely would have been made 10 to 15 years ago and released in theaters. But now with Netflix and if this had been released in theaters now, I don't think it would have been anywhere near as popular as it was being on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And it's for this that I'm glad that Netflix is starting to while this technically is their film, they actually picked this up because Paramount dumped it. Um, Bad mistake. Yeah, they didn't. Paramount didn't dump the movie that it was finished, but Paramount had the rights to the film, and and they let it go. And Netflix picked it up, and they're the ones that got things going. Um, so yeah, I I had a really great time watching it. I'm I. It's one that I will probably definitely watch again. I I really enjoyed it. It was a it was a fun fun little thrill ride uh, another thing i wanted to say just briefly is that i can't remember seeing a netflix movie or any netflix project really that looked this good i was pretty impressed with the cinematography actually mm-hmm. uh it's a guy named Ro- roman vasyanov mm-hmm. um i didn't recognize the name but i'm looking at his filmography right now uh he hasn't worked on a lot of shall we say good movies from what i can see but uh a lot of these i haven't seen to be honest with you so i can't really judge so he worked on uh, Bright, The Wall, Suicide Squad, Fury, End of Watch, Piranha. So, um, have you seen End of Watch? I haven't seen End of Watch. The only one of those that I just listed that I've seen is Fury. Fury's a good movie. Fury's a good movie. I like that one. Yeah, hold on. But, uh, I'll check this as well. Okay, I'll 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 quickly go through because I've seen Bright. You haven't seen Bright? That's a Netflix film. No, I haven't oh, that's seen right. It. We di- we discussed it. Mm. Not as bad as people tend to say. Mm-hmm. The Wall. If I'm not mistaken, that's that other that's the movie that I saw that's on Amazon. Yep, that's it. The Wall is definitely a movie. It's oh, that's definitely worth checking out. I was actually surprised at how much I liked it. Is uh, that the one? Is that the one about the uh, the soldier who gets picked off by sniper fire and is like bleeding out or something? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a t- it's a tense little thriller directed by Doug Doug Liman who did uh, Mr. And Mrs. Smith. Right. Uh, and did Edge of Tomorrow, from what I can see. Yes, as well, yeah. Um, mm. The wall's definitely worth checking out. Let's see, mm. Suicide Squad, shit movie, but it did look pretty good. Uh, Fury, I enjoyed. Me too. And End of Watch, I really enjoyed. And then these other ones, obviously, I have never heard of. Yeah, so he's done some pretty good stuff. End of Watch, you haven't seen End of Watch, eh? I'm nope. adding that to our list, because that was <laughs> fucking amazing. Perfect. Um... This was the director of this was J.C. Chandor, who is someone that I'm keeping my eyes on. Uh, I've only seen, well, actually, I've only seen one of his four films or two now with Triple Frontier. Um, I saw in 2014 a most violent year, and that movie is fucking spectacular. That is also on my list of movies that I'll be making us watch one day. <laughs> I, actually, I've, I've got a little note about a most violent year. I actually haven't seen it, unfortunately. But you have recommended it to me before. I know that because I'm using my old notebook right now. Yeah. And on, on the page for episode one, 
I have a most violent year written in like the margins as something I need to watch. Nice. <laughs> so we've definitely talked about it before. Yeah. Uh, his one of his other movies that he uh, that he's made, All Is Lost. I'm almost positive I own it. I think it's up there on the shelf, and I still haven't watched it. Um, which garnered uh, Robert Redford an acting nomination. A most a most violent year would have easily been in my top ten of 2014. Uh, Triple Frontier. Well, I don't know. Possibly could make my it's, top 10. It's certainly, certainly a candidate so far for me for top 10. Definitely. It's definitely one that I'm going to be writing down that might just end up getting cut, but it's definitely one that's going to be on the initial list. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's... I guess we should kind of dive into the movie. I, I agree. All right, let's dive right in. Um, the... Before I... Be- no, go ahead. Yeah, no, fire oh, away. I was just going to say we should uh, we should be giving the people a spoiler warning, correct? Oh, thank you. Yeah, why don't you do it this time? <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen. So those are our spoiler-free thoughts on Triple Frontier. We are going to continue talking about this movie, but we are going to be spoiling every single little detail of it. So if you haven't seen it yet, it looks like Manny and I both recommend that you do. So you've been warned. Three, two, one, go fuck yourself. Manny, let's talk about Triple Frontier. Alrighty. Uh, this cast, these five actors, um, I absolutely love them. I haven't watched Sons of Anarchy, so my only my only experiences with Charlie Hunnam are from a couple other movies. I just want to quickly look up. Uh, I have not seen that Robin Hood he did. Uh, or sorry, King Arthur is what I meant. Uh, the He's from Pacific Rim. Yeah. I don't remember him from Children of Men. Me neither. Uh, he was in Cold Mountain. Oh, he must have been one of the bad guys in Cold Mountain. And that's it. Uh, I have, like I said, I have heard that Sons of Anarchy is fantastic. I know that he's the main character. But I like him uh, in this movie. I like, there is something about him uh, I really enjoyed. Obviously, if anybody that's listened to our podcast knows that you and I both suck Oscar Isaac's cock. Totally. We are huge fans. He's easily in my top ten favorite actors right now. Might even crack my top five. Yeah. I am a Ben Affleck fan. This kind of resurgence of his since his kind of downfall or when he took all all those big money movies and then he kind of disappeared. And when he came back to become a a filmmaker of his own. Since then, I've kind of really enjoyed all the stuff of his that I've seen. And yes, that includes him being Batman. I liked his take on Batman. He was just about the only good thing in, like, say what you want about the character of Batman in those movies, but his performance as Batman is quite good. Yeah, those movies are shit, but I liked him as Batman. Obviously, the... Well, he's directed four, right? Uh, the Town, which is brilliant. Mm-hmm. Live by Night, which was okay. Argo, which won Best Picture. He didn't get nominated for Best Director, but I loved that movie. And then uh, Gone Baby Gone, absolutely spectacular, which, again, you haven't seen, which uh, we'll, we'll, again, be adding to our list. Wow, <laughs> this this podcast is going to go forever. I fucking love it. Um, And then... Pedro Pascal, he, I know him from Narcos, uh, love him in it, absolutely love him in it. He's not 
he's not the main reason to watch Narcos, but he's fine in it. But obviously his turn as Obron in Game of Thrones I'm a fan of. Yeah. And he's been in some other movies. Uh, I liked him in this. He probably has one of the smaller parts or the smallest of the five between maybe him and Garrett Hedlund. And even Garrett Hedlund I like in this movie. Mm. I'm a big fan. Like I said, I'm a huge fan of this cast being together. I find their chemistry is real. You feel that they have a history together. And I really really enjoyed the five of these working off one another. Yeah. Um... I'm looking at Pedro Pascal. Uh, honestly, mild spoilers for uh, seasons four and five of Game of Thrones, but one of the most iconic deaths in uh, in TV history, in my opinion. That is such a, a today is not the day I die, and then it is, man. <laughs> just, <laughs> just such a good death. Um, I, I just want to point out one thing about Pedro Pascal. Honestly, um, there's one tiny moment in this movie where I actually was super imp- it's one gesture that he does that I was so impressed with how he even threw it nonchalantly into the performance it's so good it's when they're all sitting at the table together uh in uh, where are they Columbia uh, they're, they're all sitting at the table together and uh, oh right ben- before they're about to do it yeah and I think it's uh, I think it's uh Ironhead he says uh who who or who gave up the money or who Whose money is it when they're talking about the 100K uh, who paid their fees? Yeah. Oh, I think that's what he says. He says, who paid our fees? And then the camera just goes on Pedro Pascal, and he just does this little, like, finger point as if to say, like, yeah, I agree with this guy. I want to also know that. It, for some reason, that little gesture that he does and the facial expression that he does in that moment, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> for some reason, it just really impressed me. I'm like, damn, that's such a natural thing to do. Like, That's really good acting. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's It's realistic. <laughs> I know exactly yeah. the part you're talking about. Yeah, it's yeah. fantastic. Well done. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really, yeah, like I really loved the five of these guys together. They have a natural chemistry, and it's kind of really highlighted in the high scene itself and how well they work together. Mm-hmm. Man, how tense is that scene? Hey, that's such a well-directed scene. The pace in it is, uh, is very nice. It's a slow burn of a scene. Um one thing that they do, this the scene reminded me a lot of uh, the way Sicario's directed, actually. Oh, nice. In how um, the action takes up, like, split seconds of the entire scene. Maybe when the guards show up, there's a little bit more action. But in, in the initial invasion of the place, the action is just, like, minutes and minutes and minutes of waiting. One or two shots, and then several more minutes of waiting and waiting on bated breath, going around corners and it's all almost anticipation that entire scene. It's uh, the, the tension is maintained really well. Mm, I totally agree. Uh, the whole high scene inside, uh, what's his name again? Loria. Loria's mansion uh, is spectacularly done. Shot well, scored well. The rain just adds to it. Everything is... JC Chandor really knows how to ratchet up the tension properly. Exactly. Just, it, it, oh, that was such a perfect analogy. Much like the border crossing scene in Sicario. That was exactly what I had in mind when I was watching the scene. The border crossing in Sicario. Yeah. I love, one of the, one of the scenes I love is right, is it right before? It's after the reconnaissance. Damn it. I can't remember when it is. It's, it's obviously, it's either right after the reconnaissance Oh yes, it is. It's oh, 
it's in af- it's after they've decided to do the job and they're in the uh the trailer or the the storage container and ben affleck runs down how it's going to go down that's such a badass scene are it's, you kidding me yeah it's such a great monologue which i tried to look up but i couldn't find it yeah there's there's one line that he says in it or he says, uh, you, you guys need to own that you're desecrating most of the oaths you ever took. Yes. <laughs> like that's, that's another great moment of setting up the stakes and Ben Affleck, another great line in that scene. I can't remember the whole thing, obviously, but he says something like, if we do this right, we will be committing one murder and one armed robbery. Mm-hmm. That is like, I just, I, I love another why why does that scene work one of the many reasons is ben affleck as is set up as the righteous one he's the guy who uh got out of uh got out of his previous gig uh which we know was immoral and he he wants to provide for his family he's kind of set up as the most righteous one in the group so when he then turns around and gives this speech about uh how you're desecrating most of the oaths you ever took by going with us on this mission and here's all the crimes we're going to be committing it really drives home to the audience like fuck this this needs to go well there's there's a lot at stake yeah i agree it's such a great monologue and the other guys are looking around not one of them even contemplating backing out because they this is a brotherhood and they're in this together mm-hmm. um when shit starts to go south i love i really loved hold on um when the guards show up, the efficiency of their kills was spectacular. I, you haven't seen Zero Dark Thirty, have you? I have. I, you I have. It reminded really me of the end scene of Zero Dark Thirty. What a great movie. Oh, so good. Well, honestly, you know what? Um, Catherine Bigelow, I believe, is a producer on this movie, right? Yes, she is, because she was originally going to direct it. Yeah, that's right. This seems like a Catherine Bigelow movie. Yeah, right? Yeah. Oh, God. I would have loved to have seen her direct this movie, too. Um, if you want to know, oh my, uh, oh man, oh son of a bitch, there. If you want to hear, since we're, that's a a director we liked, there was one, two, three, four, five. There was five other names attached in this movie at certain points. Would you like them? Uh, attached for what role? Uh, it doesn't specify. Okay. Okay, but the right. fir- the first two, I, I would assume. Well, no, the the names I'll talk off. It's obviously for Red Fly and Pope, so the Affleck and Oscar o- o- Oscar Isaac roles. Mm-hmm. Okay, the first two names that were attached: <laughs> Tom Hanks and Johnny Depp. Obviously, Tom Hanks is a fantastic actor, and him being in anything is reason enough for me to see it. I don't necessarily feel the same way about Johnny Depp. I don't dislike him, but to me, Johnny Depp is not as must-see an actor as Tom Hanks. I agree. Uh, not to mention the fact that this movie would be very, very different um, with Tom Hanks and Johnny Depp being in it. I uh, 100% agree. <laughs> would you? I, I think Tom Hanks would have played Affleck's role. Yeah, I would imagine so. Yeah? And the, seeing him turn the way Affleck's character does would have been interesting as well. Yeah. Well. Um, oh, sorry. You you want to uh, keep talking about the uh, no? The if, you have, if you have something to say, keep going. I I I'm good well, to go. I, 
I was just going to say that uh, I mentioned in the non-spoiler section that there are certain aspects of it that were pretty predictable. I'm trying to find the exact place uh, in my notes where I where I found or where I where I thought of this. Um, but I predicted pretty early on that Ben Affleck was going to wind up dead. Yeah, that's it's pretty obvious because he's it's pretty telegraphed. Yeah, he's because he's the one that makes the turn. Yeah, he's the he's the tragic character of the bunch. He's the Shakespearean uh, the, the the Shakespearean hero, I guess, who uh, gets corrupted by greed and uh, you know winds up dead because of it. it that seemed pretty uh, by the numbers to me. Yeah, it it did, and that's why well, I don't have a problem with him dying. No, me neither. The way he died did still kind of surprise me. Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, it makes sense that. Uh, some of the people he fucked over uh, for the sake of greed wound up being the ones to pull the trigger on him. Um, in what sense did it surprise you? Just uh, that it, that they physically snuck up on him or that uh, you didn't expect it to be those characters? I Honestly, I, I don't really have an answer. I just remember, like, as that scene was playing out, uh, I didn't... <clears throat> I don't know why. I didn't expect him to die there. And then when he takes that fucking bullet to the brain, it uh, it stunned me. Well, yeah, and the the camera does not look away when we when the bullet goes through Ben Affleck's face. Mm-hmm. The the camera stays right on him, and you get to see that bullet go right through his forehead. Yeah, and I I love how the guys react. I love how they're angry, they're upset. They know mm-hmm. that the only reason their friend died is because of greed. Yeah, I also uh, like I like I said I did predict early on that Ben Affleck was gonna die, but even at the beginning of the scene, um, when him and Oscar Isaac reconcile and then someone starts shooting at them, I was like, oh, this is it! Like this is this is Ben <laughs> Affleck dying. <laughs> the the tragic character being redeemed but too late is uh, is a pretty standard uh, writing technique. Yep. Not that it's bad. I I didn't dislike his death. It was just pretty telegraphed. Yep. Much like the mule. Much like what? The mule. Oh yeah, the mule. Poor, are, poor, are, poor donkey. Yeah, poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I did kind of chuckle. Honestly, it's a little bit uh, slapstick. Like, it is unintentionally. A bit, yeah. <clears throat> totally. <laughs> with, the, is. with the money flying anywhere. Yep. Yeah. Um. Johnny Depp. If I can remember, if I remember the history, so Johnny Depp dropped out, and Will Smith came in. He would have, I think, again, would have played the Oscar Isaac role. Then hi- I, I think Will Smith would have made a good pope, though. <clears throat> he would have made a good pope? I think so. I agree, 100%. Uh, then both of them were out, and in came Tom Hardy and Channing Tatum. Yeah, okay, I could I could definitely get on board. I'm, I'm a Channing Tatum fan, to be honest with you. Um... Yeah, I, I'm trying to think of roles that I've seen. He, first of all, he's hilarious in, in 21 and 22 Jump Street. I knew you were going to go there. He is he is so goddamn funny. And, I mean, of course, we just watched all of our Tarantino movies, and uh, he has a surprise appearance in The Hateful Eight. Yes. Yeah. Maybe I need to give those Jump Street movies another chance. You didn't like those? I remember watching them and being unimpressed. Really? No, Not- I, I like those. Uh, there's a lot of comedies that i like that i classify as dumb the tw- the jump street movies are not are not those i i i think i remember like i rem- i know i watched them i can't tell you anything about them like i know that and the reason i know well i shouldn't say the reason like i know <laughs> that spoiler alert for 21 jump street 321 go fuck yourself johnny depp <laughs> shows up in the end 
yeah. as a cameo because he was Miles on the TV Spoiler. show. But yeah, I know I've seen them, but they're they're not memorable. So I didn't. Huh. I must not have hated them, but I obviously didn't love them. Twenty Two Jump Street is quite a good sequel, in my opinion. Like oh, it's right. it's easy. To, it's really really easy to fuck up a sequel, and they did not do it. I don't. Did you ever hear the rumored crossover that the Jump Street films were going to have? Uh, not sure. Are you ready for this? And I'm not yeah. lying. This came incredibly close to happening. Oh, uh, was it the Men in Black? Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah, I did hear that, actually. <laughs> oh, God. They really need to go. So, yeah, so Tom Hardy, Channing Tatum, apparently uh, both left the project over uh, creative differences. And then it was going to be pretty close to Ben Affleck and Casey Affleck in the movie together. And then Ben pulled out for personal reasons, a.k.a. rehab. And then when it went to Netflix, I think Netflix reached out to him or he reached out to them. They got it going. And then and then the film started with the cast that they have now. Right. I, I, I'm honestly satisfied with the cast. I love um, the cast. Yeah, I, I think it's quite good. I, I have to admit that I'm not particularly familiar with Garrett Hedlund, the guy who plays Ben Miller. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if we... His nickname isn't listed on uh, on Wikipedia. I don't remember him having one. Yeah. So it's Red Fly, Pope, Ironhead, Catfish, and Ben. ben. Yep. <laughs> we could call him Uncle. Yeah. We could call him Uncle if we wanted. Sorry? We could call him Uncle. Uncle Ben. Uncle? Why, why Uncle? Uncle Ben. Uh, <laughs> except he lives. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert for Spider-Man 1. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of catfish, uh, you, I didn't, <clears throat> I didn't catch this reference. And even if you, even if you noticed, you wouldn't have caught this reference. But this fucking made my day when I discovered this. Is the baseball cap worn by catfish features the logo for Standard Heating Oil, the company run by Abel Morales in the film A Most Violent Year. Oh, okay. No, I didn't catch that for sure. I thought, you know what I thought it was a reference to? Hmm. I thought it was a reference to Oscar Isaac's character in Drive. Because Oscar Isaac's character in Drive, his name is Standard. Yeah. No, it's uh, <laughs> the Standard Heating Oil. Standard Heating Oil, it's uh, the company run by Abel Morales, Oscar Isaac, in A Most Violent Year. Oh, okay. Now that makes sense. That's awesome. But yeah, it, I was so fucking happy when I read that. Oh, God, I love that movie. We, we always talk about how the little things make the movie, and uh, there were a couple, actually, a couple small details uh, that I was really impressed by in this movie. But the main one I wanted to talk about, we already touched on the uh, the, the actual heist scene, which is one of the highlights of the movie. It's really yeah. good. I, I did watch this movie twice this week, and one of the one of the small details I was so impressed by on second watch was when they go into Lorea's house, uh, all his furniture is covered. I did not like. Of course, the, on rewatch, we know what the reason for this is uh, is because they've been doing painting, they've been redoing the walls, and they need to cover the furniture. Um, but it's not really that particular detail is not called out, especially because we only really see shots of furniture before the big reveal that the money's inside the walls. Mm-hmm. Um, so while that is, it's something that I noticed on first watch, just to go, huh? I wonder why all this furniture is covered. And then didn't really connect the dots when the reveal is is done because we don't see another close-up of the furniture. But on second watch, I was like, oh, that, that makes so much sense. That's a really nice uh, really nice detail that they're on there. Oh, I don't know. Did, I never caught that. That's spectacular. Yeah, all of all of the furniture is covered. All of the couches are, are covered by, like, tarps. Oh, that's fucking awesome. Yeah. 
or uh, not tarps. But I can't think of the word right now. But yeah, they're covered anyway. I know what you mean by plastic. Yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> what else? Uh, the helicopter sequence I loved. Again, nice and uh, nice and tense. I love as they're trying to get over the Andes. A uh, little nitpick though. Uh, for those that are interested, is that the Andes uh, going over them? The uh, the helicopter would be facing west. So even though the sun's in their eyes, uh, because it's supposed to be morning, the sun would actually have been behind them. But no big deal. Wow, literally unwatchable. <laughs> yeah, this movie's now piece of shit. Yeah, it's now terrible. But it is a beautiful shot as they come up over the Andes and the sun's there and they're trying to get over there i i did like it it's so funny there's all these things that if it had just gone right this movie really wouldn't have been fun to watch at all <laughs> yeah. well this is this is one of the many things that good directors will do is that they will tease you with the idea of things going right and then they'll fuck it up at the right moment so like if take the helicopter scene for example i love the way that as they're coming over the mountains the sun is shining bright on their face there's a shot of them with their faces all illuminated by by the sun and the ocean and it's a really nice shot and then right at that moment the engine gives out it's yep. uh it's very well timed yeah awesome it's awesome um the crash the crash landing, the I guess the one part that obviously upset me is uh, who was it that fell out? Ben. Ben falls out. Yeah. And he's totally fine. Well, William also uh, has a fucking bullet wound, which has an exit wound. Yep. Uh, and uh, he, he just fucking walks it off. He gets he gets shot and he's totally okay. Like At the end of the movie, when they go into the ocean, the first thing I said was, God, that's got to feel good on the bullet wound. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All that um, salt water. <laughs> that, uh, that, that, I, I want to call it a car chase scene, but it's more of like a truck and Jeep chase scene. Yeah. If you want to get technical. Well done, actually. Especially uh-huh. in the grass. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, uh, JC Chando really knows how to do his action scenes very well, which mm-hmm. there's a cup. I won't give anything away. There's a couple in some movies he's done. All is Lost, I've heard, is uh, all it is, is one kind of big action scene. The uh, the the finale. I mean, we'll we'll eventually get there. But uh, as you're talking about the final car chase, like when they're right at the ocean at the end. Yeah, yeah. So my favorite part of that whole sequence is the Mexican standoff with the kid. Yeah. I mean, we I've been watching so much goddamn Tarantino recently <laughs> that you would think uh, there's nothing new you can do with a Mexican standoff, but it Mexican standoffs are really good at revealing character. Yes. And I think this scene shows just how far Oscar Isaac has come, uh, how far his character has come, rather, that he's the main one trying to de-escalate the situation. He's put his gun down. He doesn't want this kid to be killed. Whereas before, I mean, early on in this movie, we see him turning a blind eye to violence against innocence. Um, And it just does a good job of showing how his character has changed through the movie. Yeah, it's a great arc for uh, for Pope. And... You can see also the desperation as Catfish has turned. He just Catfish just wants to get out, and yeah. he know he knows. And I don't argue with him. The best and easiest solution for this situation is to kill that kid. Yeah, and uh, it's another great acting moment from Pedro Pascal. Uh, is when uh, Oscar Isaac has some line like, "We're not going to kill any more people." And Pedro Pascal says, well, if it's between me and them, 
you bet your ass I'm going to be killing some people or, or something to that effect. Yeah. And that's another well-delivered line from Pedro Pascal. Yeah. It, it, Pedro Pascal, like I said, he he has him, I guess between him and Ben have the, the least amount of screen time, but they, Pedro really knows how to work with what he's given. And we kind of skipped over, we skipped over the whole scene. Well, we kind of mentioned, we skipped over the scene or the moment of Affleck's death. And well, the cra- the helicopter crash where they, they've killed um, some some villagers, pay them off, take the mules, and then they're followed by, uh, by the I think they yeah the sons of the guys he killed yeah, yeah yeah the sons of the guy he's killed, and it's all greed. It's all it's their greed is the reason they've died. Like the burning of the money probably gave them you know help signify where they were because they wanted to take as much money as they could. They were moving so slow. So it allowed these untrained kids to be able to track and find them. So greed, like their, their greed is what led to his death. Yeah. Uh, if, if we're on the topic of greed, we might as well, I guess, touch a little bit more on Ben Affleck's character, uh, red fly. Um, I, I'm, I'm try- I've been debating back and forth, actually, how exactly I feel about his character arc. First of all, I think it's a well-performed role by Ben Affleck, and, and I like the character arc. I-, I have mentioned a few times it's a pretty standard, uh, tragic uh, character arc, being mm-hmm. being corrupted by greed and then dying, uh, being redeemed and then dying with the redemption being too late. Um, I-, I don't know. I, I think maybe... I feel that it's a little bit rushed, his his turn to corruption. I would have liked to see a little bit more gradual decline. I know we're, we're a little bit short for screen time, so you can't necessarily do everything you want to do. But in one scene, I feel like he's refuge, refusing the reconnaissance. And then it, like two scenes later, he's basically endangering all of his friends' lives, trying to get as much money out of the walls as possible. I don't know. Did you feel like you could have used it... Uh, Used maybe a little bit more gradual turn, or uh, or what did you think of that? One hundred percent. It would have been, I, I, it would have been more believable if he hadn't been so reluctant to stay. Yeah. Because they set up how kind of desperate he is for the money with the scenes back at home when post recruiting, because you can see he's trying to sell homes and he sucks at it. He's divorced, so he's having to pay for two families. He's trying to provide for his children. He's trying to do the best that he can. So his. I guess desperation or his motivation to do this job makes sense, but his reluctance, his reluctance to move forward and his, I guess it's not anger, but I guess, um, bitterness, no, not bitter, um, annoyance, annoyance that Pope kind of tricked them to come down. It's very uh, short lived. It's very short lived. And then immediately turn, he immediately turns. Well, I shouldn't say immediately turns. He turns into, like, because he was their captain. He turns into leader mode, and that, that's where we get that amazing monologue inside the container. And then the, the, the heist itself, but the moment, it is weird, and maybe we can just attribute it to the amount of money that he sees, so maybe he loses focus. But as soon as they find the money hidden within the walls, that's when the turn happens. Yeah. When they- I, I think it was the overestimation because I, maybe that's what we're supposed to believe is that he thought he was coming in for so much more, but when he realized there was even more to have, maybe that's mm-hmm. that's where the turn is. I, I don't know. I, I, I 100% agree that his turn happened quickly. I don't know. I don't think there's any – I don't think there's any way that we could have done so gradual, so I think their choice of him being reluctant was the wrong one. 
Yeah, I think maybe uh, the way that they should have gone or the way to fix it. Um, and again, this is easy for us to say sitting in our sitting in our chairs uh, far away from Hollywood. <laughs> but um, I think maybe the way to go is to just turn up the animosity a little bit more when uh, when uh, Redfly and Pope meet for the first time because they 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 reconnect their old friends. Uh, Pope brings up this mission that he's got going on that's in two parts, a reconnaissance and then a part with live fire. And, you know, within 10 minutes, Redfly has agreed to the reconnaissance and doesn't want to do the live fire, even though everybody in the audience knows that he's eventually going to get in there. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe the solution to this character arc for Redfly is to just turn up the animosity a little bit more. Maybe there's some bad blood between the two of them. Maybe he goes and visits Ironhead and Catfish first, and both of them are really... Um, really they're really hesitant to do it maybe oscar isaac lies and says red flies on board and the two of them are kind of surprised like maybe maybe you set up a little bit more bad blood and maybe ben affleck is really really opposed to this thing at first i think that's the you, that way you get oscar isaac to drag him in and then oscar isaac is even more at fault and more guilty when red fly inevitably dies in the middle of the movie mm -hmm. uh, I, I and then the the fi the final scene or the uh, one of the final scenes where they're all giving money to uh, Redfly's family. I think that scene also plays a little bit better because then it's more Pope's fault, and and that's a way for him to alleviate his own guilt. That, uh, well, so, no, go ahead, finish. That that was basically it. I just think the solution to this character arc for Redfly is to maybe just turn up the animosity a little bit more between him and Pope, especially in the beginning of the movie. I can go with that, I, but I still feel that they projected pope's guilt well enough yeah they they certainly did okay. I, I certainly i think part of that though is the brilliant acting of oscar isaac 100%. i think no matter what I, I think say regardless of what your opinion on the writing of this movie is uh good acting can cover up a lot of bad writing yes. not saying that this writing is bad per se but you can fill a lot of gaps in your story with good acting and i think maybe there's just a little bit of room for improvement in the screenplay yeah, I I don't I don't disagree there. Don't disagree. Yeah. Um so I enjoy well, let's see. Well, I like I enjoyed um I did like the I did like <laughs> sounds bad to see this. I did like the scene where Affleck dies. I didn't like it because Affleck dies, but I thought it was well done. I yeah. love I love how they knew what to do. I love how they're calling out, you know, like I'll go up this way, you go this way, make sure no one's flanking us there. And then one, mm -hmm. one of them goes, the other one's behind him to make sure that he's not being flanked. It's just, it's it's well done. I love, you can tell that they, you can tell like Mark Bowl has written a lot. Like he wrote The Hurt Locker. He wrote uh, Zero Dark Thirty. He has, I'm pretty sure he himself has history with uh, with the armed forces and if not, he's done extensive research on the way they do things. I do know that the five of these guys did do a little um, training with military. And like you can see that in full effect in the high scene, especially when they start going, when they've decided that they now have to kill people. The efficiency and the way that they conduct themselves, I love it. Yeah, I'm trying to find anything on uh, on uh, Mark Bull and if he has any sort of military history. I can't seem to find it if he does. That's all right. Um, what else are we I'm trying to think of what else I want to touch on? Um, I, I wanted to touch on the, uh, the soundtrack briefly, cause I don't know if you recognized much from this movie, 
but this movie is like an 80s metalhead's wet dream <laughs> so there's two <laughs> there's two metallica songs and a pantera song so the two metallica songs were for whom the bell tolls which is playing uh in the opening helicopter ride when the credits are rolling yeah uh and then the final one uh, it, it closes with orion by metallica which is a which is a good one as well and then the uh the pantera song is walk which is playing in uh in uh, i can't remember the character's name da, 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 da. Uh, when ben is uh in the ring in the beginning it's his walk-up music is walk by pantera so mm. sorry I, uh, what was the closing song it's orion by metallica didn't like it no oh I, I, it's not that i don't like the song i yeah. just felt it was it didn't suit the tone of what had just happened in the scene yeah and hey i i can't disagree with you i think i was more excited I was like, "Hey, another Metallica song! Hooray! I'm a Metallica fan." But I, I can I can see that point of view. Yeah, like they were they were just they had all just said their goodbyes. They had all just given up their money to help out Red Fly's family, mm-hmm. and uh, Iron Ironhead. What the f- is that right? Yep, that's uh, right. Gives the coordinates to Pope on where they threw all the money in the chasm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love. I love how they set up that Iron Head keeps track of all the numbers of everything in his head. You know, he knows exactly how many people he's killed. He knows everything along those lines. So him taking down the coordinates of where they threw all the money in the chasm. But I, I love that it's left open, has the guilt of what Pope has done. Is he going to go get that money or is he just going to leave it? Yeah. I like to believe that he's going to leave it. It's a very, very good movie. A uh, very good ending to the movie, I guess I should say. Yeah. Um, uh, I agree. The the open-ended nature of it, um, the, how it's left open to interpretation is uh, is pretty, pretty, pretty powerful, in my opinion. Um, yeah, I, I like open-ended, uh, open-ended conclusions like this. Me too. Uh, the Coen brothers are some of my favorite for that. Actually, I like their open-endedness. Um, there's something else I was going to say. Oh yeah. You touched on iron head, keeping track of everything. I have written down page one of my notes as I was watching the movie. William keeps count of speeches important. (laughs) 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 So it's referenced twice after that. It's referenced when, uh, they're, they're talking about the number of people that they've killed. And, uh, yeah, the, the coordinates are also, uh, potentially a callback to that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just well done. The, the movie the, the movie sets things up and pays them off very well, just like you mentioned earlier today. Um, something I, I want to kind of work out with you, just an idea that I kind of have, um, or something that kind of bothers me, I guess. Yeah. Um, so the opening uh, is uh, William, or uh, Ironhead, talking to a bunch of uh, army personnel, uh, talks about the price of being a warrior and sort of a bit of... Uh, what seems to be a PTSD attack he's describing uh-huh. uh, in a grocery store. Um, an opening scene of a movie, that seemed, that that speech seemed like it was really important. And often you'll find that the opening scene of a movie is sort of like, uh, is sort of the thesis, you know? It, it describes what the movie is going to be about. It kind of describes what the subtext of the movie is going to be. And it, it kind of seemed unconnected from the rest of the movie like when i heard that story i thought there was going to be a lot more about um the toll that killing people will take and uh and the the mental effects that being a warrior has on a person i didn't really get that i got what the movie seemed to be more about was the brotherhood as you mentioned 
and uh, and the guilt that Pope inevitably feel, feels for being responsible for Ben Affleck's death, but not necessarily killing people directly. Does that make sense? So the the opening, I, I need your help working this out because I just feel like the opening should be like the thesis for the movie. It should, it should be here's what your movie's about, at least subtextually, and then it doesn't really connect, in my opinion. I'm going to agree with you. Okay. But to work it out, I think possibly because on the second watch, I started to notice the guilt that these men feel on how things escalated tended to catch up with them. So the opening scene is about Ironhead dealing with basically PTSD and Mm -hmm. the weight and burden and guilt he feels over those 43 kills that he made. That's why he attacked the man in the grocery store. As this, as this, un, as this uh, mission unravels on them, I feel you can see that they are—they're not happy that they had to kill these people, despite them being drug lords, or well, one of them being a drug lord. Besides them being drug dealers, they had no desire whatsoever to kill anyone except for Loria. Loria? Yeah. Why Loria. could I never? I always want to call him L'Oreal. <laughs> uh, they only want to kill him. They they even <laughs> they even until things in, until their mission becomes compromised, they don't even kill the guards in the house. They knock yeah. them unconscious and restrain them. When and ki- one gets one gets kneecapped too. Yeah, and 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 it would have been it would have made the mission so much easier if they just killed them. And they even make a point of showing Catfish's aim. They're all aiming at eye level and even make a point of inserting a shot of Catfish lowering his aim yes. to the guard's knee. Yeah. So, which I actually thought was a, was a nice detail as well. Yeah, so these guys don't want to kill. And so I think that's how it ties into that opening. And then once they have, once it's turned and they do have to do these kills, because if they don't, then they're dead, the guilt of it continues on and even more so as when they had to kill those innocents at, mm-hmm. in, the, in the village. And the scene on the rocks prior to Affleck's death and all that, I think you can see it starts to eat at them. And then even yeah. more so after Affleck's death, when they're now realizing that all of this was for money, the guilt of it, they don't care, they don't want the money, they just want to get their friend home. That's how I think we could tie in the first scene, but yeah. that's that's the only way I see it. I personally just feel that I can see how you can tie that in, and I, I don't disagree with you, but I personally think that the opening scene could be improved just a little bit if it's maybe framed. This I, I just don't think the supermarket story fits uh, necessarily what the movie is trying to say. I think maybe if, if he told a story more so about his combat experience and somebody that he felt responsible for dying, and maybe the, the moral of his story is more, no matter the guilt you feel for killing people, it'll always be less than the guilt you feel for letting your brothers die if that if he told a story more towards that moral i think it would have tied in nicer with the themes of the movie that's just my opinion i agree 100 uh, percent. I, w- I was just trying to find a way to connect the first <laughs> you you wanted to work through it I, I that was my best effort yeah no hey i and you you did a, a bang up job oh thanks buddy <laughs> thanks buddy um i think that's kind of pretty much all i got really for for this movie it's uh even though it's running time what is it about two hours yeah, something like that. Yeah, I still found it to be actually quite brisk. Yeah, two hours and five minutes. I honestly, I didn't feel it was that long. Yeah, it's a uh, it's pretty pretty brisk pace, as you said. Um, you know, I'm trying to find just about anything else, but I don't think there was anything uh, I really wanted to touch on. I guess we did 
briefly talk about uh, the final uh, few minutes of this movie where they all donate oh, yeah, to uh, do Red yeah. Fly's family. Um, but I, I, I did like that scene. That did not strike me as a cliche, it, it, at least in my opinion. Um, I think um, the cliche would have been to have them get out with no money. I, I guess, and just escape with their lives and learn a valuable lesson. But they they get out with money, and uh, instead of keeping what little they got for themselves, uh, they give it all to Red Fly's family, which yeah. I, I liked as a as a character moment for all of them. And again, this is why Pope's guilt is so important in this movie because the scene plays a lot better uh, when when he really feels responsible for Red Fly's death. Yeah, I agree one hundred percent. The I guess the second to last scene with them in the lawyer's office or the whatever as they're about to split up five ways and then they all you know all they had to do was sign over the stuff so red fly's family got his cut but then ironhead signs over his right away ben is next then catfish and he just passes the paper over to pope and pats him on the shoulder twice and walks away yeah and pope's sitting there left with his guilt his guilt looking at those stacks of money that he would trade in an instant to have his friend back. Yeah. Well and, said. Yeah. And so they, uh, they go outside and they say their goodbyes kind of almost the same. It kind of harkened reminded me of the last scene in oceans 11 where they're all watching the, the, the water display outside the Bellagio and they just walk away one by one. I don't know. Have you seen oceans 11? You haven't seen oceans 11? No. Oh my goodness gracious! Okay, wow. Um, that's gonna adding two movies to the list for me to watch. Wow, tonight. that that's actually gonna quickly climb the charts, um, <laughs> big time. Actually, uh, all right. We're gonna Noted. start. We're gonna start planning the other movies, uh, and and that is skyrocketed to the top because I think all that's right. a, I think that's a that's a movie I'd really like to talk about, and I think it's a movie that you'd really enjoy. All right, Ocean's Eleven. You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Fucking Episode sixty-eight. Write that fucking down right now. Ocean's goddamn eleven. <laughs> Right. Manny is currently jotting that down in his notebook. All right. So, yeah. Okay. So, wow. You don't get that reference at all. So, I just referenced nope. something for but, you as listeners, but our listeners out there. Do. This isn't just for me, Manny. It's for the listeners. <laughs> that is so true. It's for the people. That's why we do this. Of course, you are half the listeners. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and you're the other half, right? <laughs> that is true. Uh, how narcissistic. We should just change, rename this the Narcissistic Podcast. Um, yeah, it, I, I, I did like the ending, and like I alluded to before and I mentioned before, Ironhead gives Pope the coordinates of where all the money they threw in the crevice is. I, don't, I guess that would roughly be probably be about, what, about 100 mil, 50 mil, 75 mil, roughly? No, those somewhere bags, there. Somewhere around there. Anyways, it was it was well done. Uh, I really, I had a, I had a really great time watching this movie both times. The the first time I was absolutely enthralled, and the second time uh, I still enjoyed it. Obviously, not as much as the first one, but you know, it's it's a rare. It, a movie has to be a classic for you to enjoy it every time you watch it. But uh, this movie was was still thoroughly enjoyable. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I watched this movie back to back nights. Uh, we we don't typically record on Mondays, so I was a little bit rushed to <laughs> to, to get it in uh, twice. Thanks for that, by the way. Uh, yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> recording on a Monday, um, but yeah, I watching it back to back. I worried that it was going to drag a little bit. Honestly, I was uh, I was still really entertained both times I watched it. Good, awesome. Uh, your favorite scene. Uh, fave scene is going to be the heist. Uh, the heist is really well executed. 
Um, they do a really good job of ratcheting up the tension just at the right moments. Um, there, there's a couple of beats in this movie or in the scene that play really well. Um, them thinking that uh, the informant has ratted on them and, and sold them out. Uh, and then them discovering that there's money in the walls, then uh, Ben Affleck's character starting to turn and become greedy, then the guards showing up, the pacing is just so good, and there's constantly dramatic things happening that aren't just bang, bang, shoot, shoot. There's there's so much more going on, and they, they do a really good job of pacing the scene. Like I said, it reminds me a lot of the pacing of the border crossing scene in Sicario. It was pretty reminiscent of that, which is one of the best action scenes of the last decade. Oh, um, I couldn't agree more. So, uh, yeah, the it's no question the heist. Yeah, I, I concur. It's the heist by far. And for everything that you just said, the way that everything plays out, how they ratchet up the tension, Ben Affleck's turn, when he snaps, when Ironhead tells him, or no, it's, it's actually Ben. He's like, I've never seen you go late on a hard out. That, it, that's honestly a really effective line. I loved that line of dialogue mm -hmm. because of how natural it is and because how much it tells us about these characters yep and how long they've been together what ben affleck's character is like why this is so out of character frame that one line of dialogue is so efficient in its uh in its in its exposition that's a that's really good writing yeah it is it's spectacular and like you said i i love the camera work um the camera work as they're going through the house bo both before things turn south and especially afterwards as they are and they're like they're like call out your kills it's the efficiency of this kind of stuff that these guys how they know what to do how to do it where to go and and everything it's it was just a sight to behold and it's shot so well mm. the cinematography and the direction by jc chandor uh, spectacular the heist is is a real is the highlight of the film no disagreement here awesome final thoughts my friend Final thoughts on Triple Frontier. Um, look, we, we've basically said it all. It's a uh, it's a beautifully acted movie. It's insanely entertaining from front to back. Very well paced. Um, there's a couple of things. It, it's not a flawless movie. It, it does have a couple of problems. Um, the character arc for Redfly, while good, uh, could be a little bit better, and it is a little bit telegraphed, uh, especially if you've seen any amount of movies before. In my opinion, it's a little obvious what's coming. Um but a supremely well-acted movie. Um, you know, we didn't even talk about Oscar Isaac's relationship with his informant in this movie. It's kind of nothing. <laughs> it's kind of inconsequential, to be honest. Um, but uh, the, the cinematography in the opening scene in the favelas is quite good. Uh, the cinematography in the high scene is quite good. The cinematography just all throughout. And the way that the Andes are shot is all very beautiful. It's a really entertaining movie. Good way to spend a couple of hours. No complaints here. Awesome. Yeah, I'm with you. If you're looking for a good little action movie to watch, you want to watch something with some really great acting. Well, not really great acting, really good acting, a lot of fun, a great way to spend a couple hours. Just like my co-host said, you can't you you can definitely do a lot worse than this movie. It's definitely worth a watch. I had a great time watching it. It's it's something that I know that I'm probably going to end up watching again. I'll just be sitting around and be like, I'm going to watch Triple Frontier again. This is this is a great movie to invite the buddies over, have a couple of drinks and throw on a movie. It's a great movie for that. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. 100%. Especially given its themes of brotherhood and friendship. Oh, I agree. Yeah, this is definitely a, a great guys movie to put on. Um, mm -hmm. Sam, your rating out of five. As always, I got my prediction. 
All right. What What is your prediction there? Uh, Manny is holding up three fingers. You know what? I think I'm going to have to bump this one to a four. I I really, really enjoyed this movie. Um, it does have some issues, but it's not always about the uh, perfection of the movie. It's not always about, um, you know, the, the, the little nitpicks and whatnot. It's about your overall enjoyment. And I honestly, two times in a weekend watching this movie, I enjoyed the hell out of it both times. So four, four out of five. Awesome. I'm right there with you. Four for me. I had a yeah. great time with this movie. I'm so glad that you did as well. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's a pretty easy four for me. Cool. All right. So next week, Sam, there's a movie we got coming up next week. What is it? Uh, that's a great question. That would be episode 69 of the Samuel Emanuel movie podcast. We're going to be talking about the 1995, I believe it's the 1995. Yeah. 1995, uh, Michael Mann movie heat heat. Oh, I'm fucking pumped to talk about this movie. Have you seen this movie? No. Oh my God. I'm so excited. Oh my (laughs) God. I'm so excited. So uh, we usually will alternate uh, sort of back and forth on uh, movie selections. Obviously, this was not mine, having not seen it. Uh, but this is a, a movie that I'm at least peripherally aware of. I, I don't really know a lot about it, other than that the cast is absolutely star-studded, or at least it's Al Pacino and De Niro in the leads. But that's about it, honestly. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm intrigued. I'm going in eh, almost blind. No, I, I would say uh, I, I know very little, at least. Awesome. This, yeah, this is going to be. There's going. We're going to have a lot of thoughts on this uh, on next week's movie because it is ripe with amazing and entertaining and jaw dropping things. Uh, I, I'm really excited to talk about uh, Heat with you. So for those of you out there, if you would give us a little five-star rating on iTunes and a positive review, we'll increase the profile of this lovely little podcast we have going, and you can get more people to listen to it so you're not all alone. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sam underscore Manny underscore movie, and you can send us an email at the Sam Manny movie podcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook. You can follow us there at the Samuel and Manuel movie podcast. So, for the Samuel Manuel Movie Podcast, I'm Manny Manuel. I never miss a hard out, and I'm Sam Reimer. Adios! <laughs> <laughs>